What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Monday, February 27th, almost the end of February here. Getting into March, which is one of the best months of the year for any sport. Well, just for sports in general, because we got combine uh, that starts on Thursday, I believe. And then we've got free agency in NFL. And then we've also got obviously March Madness. We've got kind of getting into the playoff or getting into the end of the regular season of NBA and kind of getting into that playoff time where we start thinking about the playoffs more. And it's just a great time. We just ended NBA free agency. So we've got a little bit of that to talk about today as well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great time in sports. It's a great time to be alive. And we love it. Even though the Super Bowl's over and even no football season is indeed over, we still got football going on in terms, well, off the field, I guess. And, and it's, it's still, it's still a good time to be on the podcast and a good time to listen to, the, to this podcast. So sit back, relax and enjoy. I've got Matt on the other end here. Matt, how are you? Hey, and you said it best, okay? Sports doesn't end when football ends. Sports only begin when football ends. Obviously, football takes control because football is the best, right? But, but you know, that's only, you know, the first weekend of September through second weekend of February. That's not that much time. So in between all those other months and days and, and all the time that uh, that lies in between there, there's so much else that goes on. So, uh, yeah, as Hayden mentioned, obviously, you know, the NBA trade deadline was, and just scheduling too here, um, we did a podcast last week talking about, you know, kind of wrapping up the Super Bowl, our thoughts on it, everything like that. We had one topic about NBA uh, with, with the LeBron scoring record, which happened in the same week, two days prior to the NBA trade deadline when kind of everything went down. But again, those were both before the Super Bowl. And so we kind of broke everything up. We, we get our Super Bowl thoughts out last week did the LeBron thing. And then now we kind of have a whole section dedicated to the NBA trade deadline, free agency, um, you know, coming to a close, which is, as Hayden said, kind of perfect timing to now kind of get into playoff talk, right? Who, who stands where in, in terms of uh, the standings in the East and the West uh, themselves. And, and obviously right with the huge names that were moved Kyrie and, and KD to obviously headline that what, you know, what do we think of their respective teams? What do we think they're going to be going uh, further? Well, you know, from here, I guess. Uh, and then obviously, you know, college basketball is here, man. I mean, Hayden mentioned it. It it delivered on Saturday. I'll tell you that nine out of the 25 teams that were ranked all lost. Well, all well, nine of the 25 teams lost and all of them lost <laughs> uh, all nine of those teams. So and not even all 25 ranked teams played. So you had probably about half the ranked teams that played on Saturday uh, went down. And, and and a lot of them were unranked teams that were taking down those ranked teams, um, which I think is, again, just, you know, credit to college basketball. It always delivers in terms of just the, the sheer craziness and variance that is inherent with the sport, which is why we love it. Right. Uh, Hayden mentioned the March Madness is, is kind of creeping around the corner. Obviously, we're going to get into all of the conference tournament previews when the regular season ends um and and we're, you know we have entire dedicated entire episodes dedicated to just kind of our predictions on how the conference tournaments will go and i will even say and hayden knows this because i'm texting him about it a little bit you can go in on like the espn with your you know when you're espn you know filling out the brackets and whatever they they bring up the tournament challenge game as a you know as a game to kind of get ready for you can okay you can get you know create your entries in in advance of selection sunday well what i always do is that whenever they drop the tournament challenge game as you know as as part that you can visit to which most people do just create your entries and join your groups right away what i do is i look back at the past year because i make 25 brackets on espn which is the max that you can do i make hayden and my dad also make 25 brackets uh and and we put all of our things in a group and it's just kind of crazy to see uh you know all the picks that everybody so i have actually been and you know shout out to my work which is not always the busiest i've been just grinding through those i've been just literally going through every single one of our brackets and looking at our picks from last year and it just reminds me of such because again it's the best weekend of the year i don't care what anybody says it's just my favorite time uh ever and so it just brings back the memories of everything that happened and it's just so cool to see you know right hayden picked north carolina to win the championship last year uh in one of his brackets and so they got all the way the championship game but there's an eight seed you know so it's like that type of crazy stuff that you never really you never really give credit to beyond just okay well i i saw this happen in this you know this one bracket um here but but i'm going back and looking at all of them and it's really really nostalgic for me but also you know just just kind of ringing in the 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 new year of college basketball and march madness and obviously that's going to kind of lead off the show here so hey you can go ahead and, and introduce the first topic 
Yeah, it's completely right. And I think that I think that Matt, the only time that Matt ever cries is on Selection Sunday. I think he just he just falls into tears of, of tears of joy because he's just so happy that. Yeah, it's not that, it's not actual tears, um, but it there's some welling up in my eye sockets, yeah. I will say. But more so, I do this like I do this. I do this like dance every time in front of the TV when, when he does. Coming on. And Hayden and I always and it was so funny because I would always do it like when I was, you know, before college and we were both home and, you know, we were in school and whatever. I would do it and he'd see me in person. And then when I was in college, when I left for college and he was still in high school. I would send a, send him a video every year of me doing the dance in front of the TV. And then he'd get all, he'd laugh. So um, yeah. yes, it's a very, it's a very traditional time. It's a very uh, serendipitous time for me uh, because seriously, this is the best four days of my year because I just love it so much. Um, so obviously you can see where the, where the passion flows from here and why you're listening to the podcast in the first place. There you go. Exactly right. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move into our first topic or our first segment which is college basketball so purdue it it had to be a topic you guys know that purdue is going to be the first word in this segment that's because that they've lost four of their last six games after starting off the season 22 and one before they had this four out of the last six games losing streak or whatever they had only lost to rutgers and rutgers was painted out to be this great team because of that and they've kind of been a little bit shaky ever since we're i don't think we're gonna get to them today but we that Rutgers game was a game at home on which there was a Rutgers had a last second buzzer beater from like half court to win by one so it's like even that game it's like you know they probably should have won right in which case they'd be undefeated at that point yeah exactly so they they started off 22 and one now they're 24 and five and two of these past four losses that, that they've had in the past six games have come to Indiana. Um, so you might've seen that Indiana beat them at Indiana the first time. And then Indiana, and then everybody was like, okay, well, you know, home court advantage, fine. Indiana had the advantage there. They're a pretty good team. And they went up against another good team and they were able to pull out the win. It's not really that big of a deal or it's not that uncommon when you see conference opponents beat up on each other when they're at their home stadium. But this, just this past weekend on Saturday, uh, Indiana went to Purdue and took down Purdue again to get the little uh, the little season sweep going, and they uh, so now they have another two and zero against Purdue on the season, and yeah, Purdue's just been really bad recently over the past six games. Their other two losses uh, have come to Northwestern and Maryland, who both of those teams are actually really good too. They they've had a little bit of like they had a little bit of, of early season struggles, but. Uh, basically, every, I've been looking at the Big Ten and kind of the matchups within the Big Ten coming in, leading up to this episode more than any other conference, just because we're kind of the, the Big Ten is a pretty big conference that we're going to be talking about today for college basketball. But actually, Northwestern, I, I basically see Northwestern beating every single decent Big Ten team or they have at least one win over every single decent Big Ten team. And so that's that, that kudos to them. Honestly, they're uh, they, they actually might make a pretty good run in the tournament. But my question is, and I'm going to pose this question to Matt, should this topic even be ab- be about Purdue or now that Indiana has two wins and the, and the season sweep over Purdue, should we be talking more about Indiana and their success and maybe how they might make a huge run in the tournament or a huge run in the Big Ten tournament and win the Big Ten tournament and get a really high, C, high seed in the NCAA tournament? What are we looking at here? Well, just – as a bigger picture here, Indiana actually, they're just kind of a roller coaster of a team. Now, obviously, you know, as I was talking in kind of the beginning segment here, every team seems like they're a roller coaster. Obviously, Purdue is a good example of that too, right? Because of how well they uh, played to start the season and then are now kind of struggling here uh, as they get into the to the thick of their Big Ten schedule. Indiana was very similar. I think they were. I don't. I don't know if they were top ten to start the season, but definitely like the third, like ranked around like thirteen or fourteen to start the season. And they were horrible. I think they got off to like a, I mean, their non-conference was pretty hard and that, you know, they, I think they were, they played in Maui. So, um, you know, they were going up against kind of the big dogs in, in their preseason or their, you know, pre-conference play tournaments. Uh, but they, they didn't play that well. I think they started out like eight and eight or eight and nine or something like that. They weren't ranked um, really at all. And, and then pretty much since then, and really since conference play has started, they've, they've kind of just put everything together. And so it's interesting how, this team has been kind of a, you know, it, it was, they were supposed to be really good. And, and two, Mike Woodson, who's their head coach was, he's kind of been, a, a, you know, a, I guess a journeyman throughout, you know, all of basketball. He used to be a really good coach. I, I want to say 
I don't think he coached for them before, but he coached for, and, and I should probably know this, but, you know, just kind of to give some context here, at least from, from what I know, um, he, he did coach somewhere in college basketball that was like, he was really good with, he was then, he went to the NBA, he was kind of an assistant on staff for a bunch of places, and then he actually eventually got the head coach, uh, head coaching job with the Knicks, and they were really bad when he was their head coach, and so he went back down to college, and he goes to Indiana. Now, obviously, you know, being the place that John Naismith played basketball. I mean, you know, basically the guy who created basketball went to Indiana and, and ever since then, Indiana has kind of been one of the, I guess one of the more underwhelming blue bloods because they were so good in like the, like really, really long time ago that since then, you know, the UCLA's Kentucky's UNC's Dukes of the worlds have all kind of surpassed Indiana as well. And, you know, obviously Kansas in there, Kansas won last year too, but, um, you know, the, the teams that are blue, which is why they're called the Blue Bloods, have kind of surpassed Indiana. But Indiana is probably the most historically, you know, basketball in a sense, um, the, the most historic university in the country. And so it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of have to be if you're the coach there, if you're the, if you're playing there, you kind of you kind of wear that banner. Right. You 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 carry that on your shoulders of, you know, this team is very storied and the fans there are, you know, are just insane and, and, and in a good way, right. And that they love their team. They're so supportive, but obviously, right. If you're the coach and you're the players with, you know, with that comes a lot of pressure with that comes a lot of expectations. And so that's kind of the tough part about playing basketball or coaching basketball at, uh, at, at IU um, with the Hoosiers. So that's, and, and I, it's so funny because that's kind of how their season has gone this year is they were, they were, they had a lot of expectations to begin the season. They were ranked in the top half of the top 25, um, you know, the thir- thir- 13th best team in the country. You think about there's 350 teams in college basketball. That's pretty good, right? They started really badly and now, and now they're, they're really, you know, kind of back to where their first original ranking was. And they're probably going to go higher. Well, actually, I know the, the rankings just dropped. I should have actually looked at it. And so they're, they're ranked number 15 now after that, you know, after that, after that crazy win, which you think that they, they were number 17 before and they beat Purdue, you know, who was number, well, I guess they were number five last week. It looks like they actually didn't even move. That's kind of weird. Um, you lose to, to number 17 at home and you don't go down in the rankings. Uh, obviously there was kind of a lot of other carnage and, and everything that happened, um, you know, with all the ranked teams that lost, like I said. Um, but anyway, right. So Indiana is kind of back to where they were to start the season. Now too, you kind of look at the rankings, everyone around them has a better record. Right. And that's what I said was, you know, this, this, this team to start the season was, was really not that great. And they've gotten back into the rankings because of how well they've done recently. Uh, but seriously, you know, I mean, I mean, their record is 20 and nine, which isn't bad, but you know, Miami is right behind them. And they're 23 and six. So Miami has three more wins and three less losses than Indiana. And they're, and they're essentially ranked below uh, Indiana. But again, Indiana has those great wins, right? Two wins over Purdue, um, you know, to, to kind of headline that. So it's, it's tough to kind of place where, you know, where we think this Indiana team is going to be at. But I think, and, and again, when it comes to March Madison, it comes to college basketball, even in general, the thing that you want to point to is the fact that can this team get hot, right? I mean, we need to at least just see this team be able to, you know, play at their peak for an, a certain amount of time in order to actually be able to win six straight games and win a championship in March. And that's kind of what it what it comes down to is if, if a team, if you think a team can win a national championship, they have to win six straight games and they have to win you know, the back half of those, you know, the back, back three games have to, we're going to be against the other best teams that have made it that far in the tournament. And based on the way that I've seen Indiana play this year, I could see it going either way. I could see them losing to a, you know, 13 seed in the first round, Vermont, right? Or something like that. Uh, but I could also see them really going pretty far. I don't know. I don't know if I could see them winning the championship. I think it's, a, again, it's a great team. Um, their, their, fre- their star freshman, I forget his name. His first name is Jalen, of course, because everybody's first name is Jalen nowadays. But um, he he had like 35 in the game against Purdue. Um, obviously, Trace Jackson Davis is their best player. Um, and, and he's, I mean, he, I think he's averaging like 20 and 10 across the season, which is, which is crazy. Um, their guard play is, is, is all right, which I think is probably the kind of the one downside as to where, which could really kind of push them over the edge when it comes to March. And, but the, the, the reality is like, if this team is playing their best, they could, they could go to the final four. They really could. But when it comes to, you know, the losses that they had early in the season, and again, it's much better to be playing this way near the end of the season than it is the beginning of the season. We just saw with uh, UNC last year, where they were horrible the entire year, hit their stride and kind of, you know, the conference tournament, ACC conference tournament and rode that all the way to the championship game. Right. So, and we're leading. I also, I was looking back, obviously looking back at all these brackets, I was looking back at the championship game last year because, you know, many people won't remember. I'm like, I feel like, wasn't it? I felt like UNC was winning that game at some point. They were up by 16 at halftime. 
I didn't even remember that. I was looking back at that game. I'm like, oh my God, I'm checking the box score. And Kansas outscored them by like 22 in the second half. It was ridiculous. Now, and then once I saw that, I remembered the run. Like, that was crazy. I was like, UNC an eight seed is about to beat a one seed and win a championship. Like, this is ridiculous. And then obviously, you know, Kansas kind of came out of nowhere. Well, didn't come out of nowhere. They kind of showed who they were uh, and ended up winning that game to, to take the championship. But anyway, back to Indiana. Um, I, I, I can see them making a run especially in the Big Ten tournament, just because of how well they've played against other Big Ten teams. But then you kind of get to March and you're like, will their, you know, their, their hot streaks and, and, and kind of everything they're able to do is good for just kind of games that end up getting a little crazy. But in terms of like relying on them to win a bunch of games in the NCAA tournament in March, where you don't know where you're going to be, right? You'd be playing in Al- Albuquerque, New Mexico, or you could be in your home state, you know, playing in, playing in Indian, uh, Indianapolis. You really don't know, and you you really have to be connected as a team. And I think that it it just seems like they're a little bit more individually oriented. I think they don't play as a team like Purdue does, and that's a great example. Obviously, you say, well, you know, Indiana beat Purdue twice, but I think that you know when it comes to March, and that's a whole different mentality. You have to play as a team more, and I think that you know Indiana is very in you know, they have great players individually. I don't think they play as a team as well as they should, and that's why I think it'll probably end up you know kind of kind of they'll end up suffering because of that. Um, like if I had, you know, if I had to guess right now, I would say that Purdue would definitely go further than Indiana. Now, obviously, right. Purdue is number five in the country and Indiana is number 15. So yes, Purdue is over the, you know, overall the better team. They have a better record and everything like that. So of course, you know, they're an overall better team. Um, but, but I do think that obviously Indiana deserves a, a, a ton of credit for what they did against Purdue in both of the games this season. Um, and, and really we'll be able to see kind of how they're able to go from here. So Hayden, what do you got on Indiana? Yeah, I and so the actually the point guard that you were thinking of, uh, Jalen, it's it's actually Jalen Hood Shafino, which is pretty cool because honestly the um the two best players on Indiana, so it's Jalen Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis, like Matt said, both of them have hyphenated last names, which is kind of cool. I don't, I feel like you never really see that, even even just one player, you don't really see that in a lot of sports, but both it's funny of the too, best. It's funny too because um Jackson Davis is the name of the elementary school that me and Hayden went to. So and I didn't even yeah, Hayden just yeah. like Hayden just noticed that now. And it's so funny because I didn't notice it either. And I was actually watching a game with my um my parents and so my my mom and my dad and my wife. And my mom saw it come up on his jersey. She was like, Oh, Jackson Davis. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's actually his last name. Like neither of us were even able to recognize that. And then my mom was like, Oh, that's like the school you went to. I was like, Oh, yeah, it's great. I don't know why I didn't recognize that, but uh, I mean, I haven't been watching that much college basketball, but I knew, I mean, I've known who Trace Jackson Davis is, so I, I should have been able to put that together. But anyway, we're not we're here to talk about elementary school. Yeah. I think, I think Indiana is really good. Um, like Matt said, they, they just like their early season struggles are making them out to be, I think worse than they actually are. It's teams like this that get hot, you know, towards March and towards the end of the regular season. We'll have to see what they do in the conference. I mean, in the yeah, in the conference tournament, obviously, if they are able to get far in the conference tournament or even win it, I think this team could be super, super dangerous, like I was kind of alluding to when I was explaining the topic. But I, I don't really think that we can assess much right now. Like Matt said, it's a little bit weird that Purdue didn't go out, go go down in the rankings. They're still number five. Um, so the teams that are that are ranked below them right now. So Marquette is actually at six, and then Baylor, Arizona, Texas, and Gonzaga are below them to round out the top ten. So it's you can kind of see where that makes sense because all of those teams have you know, have kind of had like four or five or more losses up until the past, you know, couple weeks. And so maybe that's why Purdue is still hanging up there. Maybe they're, maybe the, whoever does the, the top AP poll or whatever, whoever decides that maybe they're waiting for Purdue to get one more loss or to fall to somebody else. That's that, that's kind of a bad team. I, I think they've got Wisconsin up next and then somebody else to round out the regular season. But basically like I think if Purdue wins out, they'll probably be fine, especially in the big 10 tournament. Um, but I, I am kind of looking for Indiana to make a move here just because they're on, they're, they're a streaky team like we've seen and streaky teams typically bode well in the tournament or at least in, you know, the conference tournament. And then if they're able to get, gain momentum in the conference tournament, they're usually able to kind of continue that success into the actual NCAA tournament. So yeah, I, I think that Matt kind of hit all the points that I was gonna that I was gonna talk about. I really just wanted to point out this topic just because, I mean, we, we can't not talk about Purdue, who's been the most dominant team in the country all season up until this point when 
they've lost four of their last six over the past couple of weeks um, and, and both of them to Indiana. So we had to kind of make it about both, make it about both teams here. But with that being said, we're actually going to move into a new topic, which, uh, which is also college basketball, but I've given, I've given it a little bit of a name here and it's called bubble mania. So I'm calling it bubble mania because it, we're basically just going to look at the bubble teams that, are in place right now for the NCAA tournament. So if you guys don't know what the bubble teams are, usually they're referred to as the first four out and the last four in. Uh, and so it's eight teams because there's four and four. There's eight teams, which are essentially teams that are on the brink of either of either being kicked out of the NCAA tournament or on the brink of getting into the NCAA tournament via the play-in games that are that are going to happen the you know the two days following I mean I mean leading up to the Thursday when the actual tournament starts. So essentially how it works is like the last four in teams are the teams that would be in the tournament if and they would play in those play-in games if the tournament were to start tomorrow and then the first four out teams are the teams that wouldn't make the tournament and unfortunately they would be right on that little cusp of being into the tournament but they just didn't have as good of a resume as the other four teams that were the last four in so we're going to look at the last four in and the first four out teams right now and and just kind of give an assessment of um of what we see in these teams and all also of what we see is you know in the field of teams that are listed in these first four out last four in also one thing to note is that it, this changes every week so i think whenever the rankings or after, after i think after every weekend basically there's new there's there's new bubble teams essentially for you know for each week so this week's teams i'm just going to read them out the last four in are uh west virginia wisconsin usc and oklahoma state and the first four out teams which would be the teams that don't get into the tournament if it were going to happen tomorrow or North Carolina, Michigan, Penn state, and Texas tech. So I'm just going to pose this question to Matt. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to quiz you, Matt. Is there, well, I'm going to quiz you on something that I noticed when I first looked at these eight teams. Um, is there one thing that you noticed, not about any specific team, but more about conferences in this, in, in this field of eight teams, what do you see about conferences and kind of about the whole, like the holistic view of these bubble teams. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that because as soon as I looked at it, that's what I noticed too. I'm like, it's the Big 12 and the Big 10, which yeah. are, you know, I mean, obviously the Big 12 is the best conference this year by by far, right? Um, and the Big 10 has been kind of titled as the best conference uh, in past years and hasn't delivered at all when it comes to tournament results. But obviously, you know, we started the segment talking about Purdue, Indiana, uh, you know, they're both in the Big Ten, Northwestern and and, and Maryland, um, as Hayden talked about earlier, too, they're both in the Big Ten, right? So the Big Ten has made a lot of news, and I don't think it's, you know, I mean, they don't have that many ranked teams, um, but still, you know, their 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 conference is pretty stacked. So, so, right, so obviously, you know, I think I answered Hayden's question at least there. And seriously, it is. So West Virginia, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State are among the last four in. Uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State are in the Big 12, Wisconsin in the Big 10. And then the first four out, Michigan, Penn State are in the Big 10, and Texas Tech is in the Big 12. So really, I mean, it's it's more, you know, it's basically three and three. So out of the eight teams, there's three teams from the Big 12 and three teams from the Big 10. This, again, speaks to kind of the, the strength of the conferences. Now, here's the deal, all right, is, is the fact that you look at teams like West Virginia, you look at teams like Oklahoma State, who are in the last four in right now and make it into the tournament uh, if it started today. They haven't had that many, I mean, you know, these teams individually haven't had that many like marquee wins, but you look at their records and they're still good. You know what I'm saying? So and I think that's kind of what I'm thinking overall is the fact that, too, they play in the toughest conference. So, I mean, you, you literally have the Big 12 of which uh, Kansas is ranked number three. Baylor is ranked number seven. Texas is ranked number nine. Kansas State is number 11. Uh, you know, even, even further down, you know, TCU is still in there. They're number 22. So a lot of these teams, like, you know, I mean, basically the Big 12, Big 12 has three of the top 10 teams. And if you're thinking about, you know, teams like West Virginia and Oklahoma state who have both, who have beaten, um, you know, one of each of those teams already, at least once in their schedule, that means that these teams can compete right against the best teams or that we're, we're thinking of as the best teams in the country right now. Whereas then you're going to go to the big 10 where you have, you know, in here you have Wisconsin uh, who's in the last four in and then Michigan and Penn state who were among the first four out. Uh, obviously, you know, all of them are kind of still in the bubble. Anything about that? And you're like, well, Wisconsin, what do we know about them? Right. Their last couple of games, 
last Saturday, they lost at home to Rutgers. All right. Um, and then this past Saturday, they, well, they did get a win against Iowa midweek last week. So that was kind of their, you know, their first game last week. Um, and then on Saturday of this week, they go into Michigan and they were really, they were losing most of the game. They ended up kind of taking the lead right at, right at the uh, end of the second half there. And then Michigan's Hunter Dickinson hit, hits a three with like one second left, sends it to overtime. And then Michigan wins by like eight in overtime. Right. So it's this interesting dichotomy where, you know, and obviously Michigan is, is among the, so Michigan's the first four out and Wisconsin, the last four in. So that game this past Saturday, Michigan, Wisconsin was actually really important in terms of kind of the, you know, the tournament seed uh, seedings and, and where everybody stands, but overall, like you just see kind of all these teams are kind of just losing to each other, you know? And, and that's where, yes, in the big 12, you have a lot of losing to each other, obviously too, but because the teams are, are rated so highly and, and the rankings are so tough, you think that, you know, teams like West Virginia, Oklahoma State have had have had better wins and aren't losing games that they're not supposed to win. Right. So Oklahoma State this past Saturday, they played Kansas State. Right. Kansas State, like I said, is number 11. And it was at Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State was favored, but they lost and Kansas State won the game outright. But again, that's the 11, that's the number 11 team in the country. So Oklahoma State, yes, they're favored, but they're favored because they get the home court advantage being college basketball, which is always, you know, you kind of always have to factor that in. So, whereas, you know, you look at Michigan, who was home to Wisconsin, they were favored by like six or seven points. Now, it's funny because they actually ended up covering the spread in overtime because they outscored Wisconsin in overtime by like eight or nine points. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you're favored by that many points, you should be winning those games and and to, to teams that aren't as good as a number 11 ranked team in the country. You see what I'm getting out of here? Like Oklahoma State is home to the number 11 team in the country and they lose. Well, OK, you know what? That's fine because they've also had better wins across the course of their season than a team like. Like Michigan, who's at home to Wisconsin, who's not ranked or not even close to being ranked and really not even close to being in the tournament. And, you know, they kind of end up, you know, winning that game in overtime, but they were in danger of losing too. So that's, I think, kind of the the, the difference here, at least in my mind, uh, what I noticed with, with the kind of the first, last four in, first four out. Um, the two teams I didn't mention, oh, I didn't even talk about Texas Tech, who's also in the Big 12. I completely, they're in their first four out as well. Um, so we actually have you know, well, three and three. Um, I didn't really necessarily go over Texas Tech very much, um, but they're, they're. I think again, you know, they've had some good wins. They've they they actually started out really really badly. Um, but the, so the fact that they're even here to to be in tournament contention is is actually pretty great. Um, because they've gone on a pretty big winning streak since then. So you know, I, I think that's kind of at least a fair assessment of, of where we're at with all those teams. Um, one of the teams that obviously you heard when Hayden mentioned all the teams to begin with, but I didn't really talk about it all, and I'm sure that Hayden can a lot, seeing that you know we mentioned them earlier and. And, and, you know, the game itself, the championship game last week or last year, as well as, you know, how how high Hayden was on them in March Madness of last year is North Carolina, UNC, who has, again, you know, just been one of those roller coaster up and down teams. I'm going to let him talk about it first uh, or, well, let me give a quick stat first. Then Hayden can kind of attack with the, with the UNC angle. What do you think of their team so far? They were preseason number one. Okay. They were ranked number one coming into the season. The reason is because they got to the NCAA, you know, they got to the championship game last year. They were winning the championship game by 16 at halftime, like I said, and then ended up losing the game. But basically everyone returned. I think they lost one starter from their team and everybody else is coming back. So of course, you know, they're going to be, if they were got to the championship game last year and they bring everybody back, well, they should be, you know, they should be number one uh, coming into this year. Not only are they not number one anymore, but they're in danger of missing the tournament and they would actually be, this is the craziest out of them all. They'd be the first preseason number one to never or to not make the tournament uh, in the same year. So Hayden, attack UNC from whatever angle you think is right. Well, lucky for UNC because they got their first quad one win of the season against UVA this past Saturday, I believe it was. And that's huge for them. First of all, because obviously there's only a couple games left in the regular season. So if they were to head into the conference tournament, basically at where they're at right now, uh, they would essentially have to win the conference tournament to be able to get in. And that that's, that's really tough to do for, especially in the ACC. So I don't know. I, I, I think that UNC right now is, is at a spot where, right. They, that win against UVA was just so huge. UVA is another team. That's that, that like they they're called a quad one team just because they've been ranked highly basically all season or for most of the season, at least, but they're not, that good especially against other ACC teams a lot of times they we I can say we because I go to UVA we kind of just like fall to other teams randomly or we have close games against other teams randomly which which is something that a lot of college basketball teams do have maybe I'm just maybe it's just amplified because I'm here and it's our team and everybody's talking about them a lot you know during classes around grounds everything like that but 
UNC's win against UVA was like they basically had to win that game for them to still have a chance to make it to the tournament. Now, as Matt said, they are in the first four out still. So if if the tournament were to start tomorrow, they would still be out of the tournament. Um, but now they have they have a chance. Basically, they have they have a breath of relief, and they're going into their into the ACC conference tournament basically thinking, okay, well, we've got to win out for the rest of the regular season. And then we've got to do really, really well in this ACC tournament. I don't know if they're going to win the ACC tournament again, that, that's really tough to do. Um, but they, but Matt, like Matt said, they do have basically the same team as last year. I mean, they, they still got Caleb love. They still have Armando Baycott, who is a dominant guy down low. So I don't know why they've had such big struggles this season. Um, it's, it's kind of weird to see, like Matt said, it's like, the blue bloods that were once so good with, you know, those tenured coaches that have lost their head, their tenured coaches. Now they just kind of are falling in, into the background. And, you know, in, in some cases, especially in the case of the Duke and the North Carolinas of the world. So it just doesn't really make any sense in my head to say that Carolina might not make the tournament, um, especially a year after they go to the championship and the year that to begin the season, they were ranked number one. It doesn't make any sense in my head, but it, it that's how it is. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a dog fight really for them for, you know, from here on out from here to the rest of the regular season. And then obviously in the conference tournament they're they know that they have to do well. So I think that they probably will end up making the tournament. I don't think that they're going to stay in this first four out uh, section, but they might end up being in that last four in section when tournament time comes, which means that they will, you know, make it to the, to, to one of those playing games and we'll probably um, we'll probably end up making it to the tournament because of that. But in that case, there'll be an 11 seed, I think at best. And so it's just, it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a little bit of a, a, a rocky road until then, but, um, but we'll just have to see. And then in terms of the other teams that Matt kind of went over, I, he went, he did a really good job of, you know, overviewing those teams. You've got, uh, you've got a lot of big 12 and big 10 teams. Like Matt said, those are kind of the two conferences right now that I think will have the most teams that get into the tournament um big 12 is is gonna have i mean the big 12 is gonna have like eight teams in the tournament they're <laughs> they're crazy the big 10 is probably gonna have close to that almost like in in the six range or maybe six or seven range um especially if you get if they get those last four teams or last four in teams in and a couple of the first four out teams also in um they'll they'll be straight there so yeah, just kind of a holistic over, overview of those bubble teams. We'll kind of get more in in depth with those teams as conference tournaments come up and NCAA tournament comes up. Um, but I kind of just wanted to to take a look at these teams because the bubble team. I mean, they I think they come out with bubble teams like I said, every basically every week from like the middle of the season until the end of the season. Basically, when bracketology and all that jazz starts to become a thing in the in the college basketball season, which is right around like the end of January ish that's when those bubble teams start to become important. That's when you start to see those bubble teams in the headlines. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of important games. These past, these, these next two games, I think Penn state plays Kansas state for their last game of the season. Um, West Virginia just almost beat Kansas. Like they, I think a couple of days ago, they, uh, they lost to Kansas by two. So that's another, t- like they've, these are really good teams. Like Matt said, that always beat up on each other. And it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be what it's going to be until the end of the season. And we're just going to have to see who they beat, see how the record turns out and and kind of just see who gets those quad one wins. Like, like we've been saying, I, I mentioned quad one because um, that's, a, that's a term that you hear a lot in college basketball talk. And I haven't explained it, but if you don't know what that means, I, I'm pretty, I don't know if it has to do with like any specific ranking, but it's, yeah. is it like top 10 team? It's the net or? ranking, which is the, the okay. new NCAA developed version of whatever ranking their teams are. They're trying to copy BPI, RPI, all that stuff. Um, and it's horrible. The rankings are horrible. I mean, look them up. It's like, obviously the AP poll kind of sucks. And we've been over that many times with college football and basketball. Uh, but anyway, so the NCAA developed their own statistically driven ranking system uh, where, you know, St. Mary's is number four in the country. And it's like, you know, oh, yeah. they're a great team. I love them, but they're probably not the fourth best team in the country. So the rankings are developed from that. So it's essentially four quadrants um, and they break them up. So it's, you know, I think 40 teams in each cover 30 or 40. Teams. I think it's just, it's some sort of statistical like threshold where, okay, you know, past a certain point of the net rankings is where that's the quad one is. So it's, you know, the first, the top 30 teams or whatever in the quad or in quad one quad two is like, 
teams 31 to, you know, 65 or whatever. Uh, and, and it just kind of goes from there. So that's, it's the NCAA's version of like, oh, well, we have our own ranking system and it's really good. And so that's a good win for this team. And it's really just, okay, yeah, UNC beat a top 10 team at, uh, you know, at home. So that's a really good win for them. At the end of the day, it's the same thing, but yeah, I think it's just their way of trying to get everything. They're, they're, obviously, with anything else, and we, me and Hayden are, are proponents of this, you know, for till, till the day we die. The NCAA will try to always try to crowbar the way into anything yes. they possibly can. So this is their version of that. Yeah, that's that's a great way to explain it. So yeah, essentially, like it, it's a whack ranking, but quad one, it's it, it's a good win, and then you got quad two, quad three, quad four, and right, UNC had their first one of the season so far. I assume, I mean, assuming most teams have had a quad one win or more quad one wins, I, I probably all of these, la- these, all of the rest of these bubble teams have gotten at least one quad one win um, so far this season. So that's why it was such a big deal for North Carolina to get their first against UVA this past weekend, which again, I'm not that happy about. I'm sure Matt isn't really that happy about either, but it is what it is. So, um, yeah. Well, so that's too, that's kind really of really quick with the, quad, of... with the with the quadrant wins and everything. Like the ACC in general is really bad this year, and so there's not that many quad one teams in the ACC. I literally think it's only UVA, right? So, yeah, they're making a big deal out of all oh, UNC's first quad one win. Well, who else are you going to get a quad one win against? Because the only other team I think that's in quad one, maybe the only other teams is Pittsburgh and Miami, and I think yeah. UNC only played each of those, you know, one time this year. So because Clemson's okay, they're you know they're all right, but I think they're on like the next four out, so they're not even in the tournament yet. Duke is horrible this year. Virginia Tech started really well, and they've completely tailed off. So the fact of the matter is, you know, look through the ACC and how many quad one wins can you even get? It's really only UVA. So the only teams in the ACC who have beaten UVA, I think it's Pittsburgh and, 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 um, I think Clemson got them once, obviously Boston College, they also Boston College and UNC last week. So yeah, they're kind of unraveling at this point, but, um, but right. It, it, you're only going to have that many chances to have quad one wins to begin with. And I think if UVA is the only chance you have in the ACC or like one of the only two or three, then there's not that many quad one wins to go around in the ACC. Where's the big 12, you know, almost all the teams are in the quad are in quad one. So the big 12 are going to have a ton of quad one wins. So it's just, you know, again, made up statistics to make everything seem cooler than it is. I don't really buy it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that being said, we are going to move away from college basketball and move into the NBA. So we mentioned it last episode that we were going to have a topic on the trade deadline or the NBA trade deadline, but it happened and it was one of the best ever um, it's, it's over now. And so you had all the trades happen pretty much right up until the deadline. That's usually what happens with NFL too. every, every trade deadline. There's usually like, I think the NHL trade line deadline is soon. And there I've been getting notification after notification about random NHL players that I haven't even heard of getting traded. And it's like bleacher report will give the little alert icon or the little emoji like it's some huge trade and I'm like, I don't even know who this dude is, but, um, but yeah, that's been happening a lot recently, recently too. So with that being said, uh, the two biggest moves that you saw in the, before the NBA trade deadline, obviously were Kyrie going to the Mavericks and then uh, Kevin Durant going to the Suns. And I'll, I'll just go over the, the little, like the resume of the picks real quick. Um, I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just going to go off the top of my head. I know that uh, from the nets or the next, basically, Obviously, they traded away Kyrie and KD. Uh, I think it was Kyrie like a couple days before KD or a week before KD or something like that. Um, so essentially, they just gave away everything that they had, which I think was a great idea on their part. Um, but they gave they gave away everything they had. Basically, they got Spencer Dinwiddie back. They also got Dorian Finney-Smith from both from the Mavericks, which those were two. I guess you could kind of say role players on the Mavericks, but I think that's also just because. Luca took takes all the spot the spotlight in Dallas, and so those are actually two pretty good players. Uh, they got both of those guys, and I think a couple picks for Kyrie, and then from the Suns in exchange for Kevin Durant, they got Mikael Bridges, uh, Cam Smith, I'm pretty sure, and then one other dude I forget his name, and then maybe a pick too. But uh, yeah, essentially you got like they got so many players slash picks just for these two guys because they were both blockbusters trades, and it's crazy to see. It's like it's crazy to see the two biggest trades happen involving one team, the Nets. Like that's that that's almost unheard of. You almost always see like, you know, a bunch of other I don't know. You, you usually see a bunch of other trades that happen where it's like 
you got one blockbuster trade from one team and then one blockbuster one blockbuster trade from another team. It, honestly, usually it's not even more than one or two, um, but this year we got two and they were both from the Nets. And then there was also like, I, I can't remember, Russell Westbrook, did he get traded before the deadline or did he get like released or something by the Lakers? Because he, no, I, I he went to the he Clippers, got, obviously. Yeah, he got traded um, yeah. because it was kind of like they – needed to and the Lakers were like okay yeah. we actually I think we actually want to start winning games this season so I think we should actually get rid of the worst player on our team Russell Westbrook um but yeah so I think they did trade him he was part of that whole news obviously he wasn't kind of the headline um uh, but that was another thing too is like the Lakers were buyers at the trade deadline which obviously you don't know how much more LeBron has and AD is obviously you know kind of always in and out they're both healthy now although I guess LeBron just kind of sk- he, I just got a notification literally two seconds ago that he's not playing tonight and obviously you know we're recording on Monday night so um because he's he sprained his ankle in the last game or whatever um but th- they've been turning it around a little bit but I think that was kind of the major story too is like they actually are trying to win games now yeah exactly right so we're going to go over these two big blockbuster trades that the Nets made um to the Suns and the Mavericks and we're just going to kind of go over what it means for the Suns and the Mavericks. And then also we can talk about a little bit about the Nets if we want to. We don't really have to, though. Like I said, I kind of just gave an overview of, of who they got and how I think that Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith are actually better players than most people make them out to be. Actually, Spencer Dinwiddie used to play for the Nets, and so he's back in Brooklyn, which is pretty cool to to kind of make that connection there. But, um, but yeah, essentially... I'm going to hand it over to Matt to talk about one of these teams if he wants, um, because I've been talking for a little bit here. So I'm going to hand it over to him, talk about whatever team he wants, and then I'll probably take the other team and we can maybe he can maybe talk about the Nets, too, if he wants. But, yeah, we'll we'll just start start there. I mean, the Nets, we we knew this was going to happen. Me and Hayden have had probably in the last calendar year, probably three separate topics on the nets and how this was going to be blown up at some point. Right. Um, And because it's true, it's true. I mean, ever since James Harden with the first time that he started to look a little bit like he didn't want to play there, we knew it was over because he eventually, you know, ended up requesting a trade. He goes to, you know, he goes to Philly uh, and then pretty much ever since then Kyrie imploded on himself, like he always does. And then Katie's just kind of along for the ride. Like guys, what happened? Oh no, I'm still here. So we knew it was going to happen, you know, and that's the funny thing, too, is Hayden says that, you know, all the blockbuster trades are involving the Nets, but they had to blow this thing up. And it's really unfortunate. I think the stat and I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to summarize here. Uh, since the inception of the big three, James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I think they played all of I like I want to say like 12 games together, 20 games or something over the course of four seasons. They won one playoff series. They won one playoff series in four years of having three of the best players in the NBA on their team at the same time. So that just goes to show how bad this thing was, you know, from the beginning. And, you know, right. It could have been great. But in this age of player empowerment and the players having so much power, which is good. Again, that's a that's a better, a more positive thing than it's not, because that means, you know, the players have more power than the owners have not as much power. And so, you know, we're kind of always against the owners here. But but anyway, right. We we knew this thing was going to blow up for the Nets. And I think it just makes for an interesting kind of, you know, rest of the season here for all the kind of the rest of the teams involved. So I'm going to go after the Mavericks here, um, just kind of talking about you know, what their, their fate is after uh, acquiring Kyrie Irving, they got rid of two of the better players or role players on their team. And this was also after they got rid of Jalen Brunson last year, right? So they traded Jalen Brunson to the Knicks who really kind of carried their team when Luca was out towards the end of last season. Uh, Jalen Brunson's a great player, right? So, you know, I think he won two championships with Villanova while he was there. He was kind of there for that whole span and now has been, you know, a great, a great player in the NBA. And, and I think that, his play style was really great with Luka Doncic because as we know, Luka is one of the high, most, you know, the highest usage guys in the league. And, you know, Jalen Brunson was like, sure, you know, do it. Just give me the ball and I'll make it happen. Right. And so then obviously when Luka was out, Jalen Brunson kind of took over that role of being a high usage guy, but got to the rim, right. Stuck his butt into people and, and, and drove, drove down the, you know, into the paint and got, got buckets. Uh, they traded him away. And then obviously now you have Luka who, you know, can kind of do everything anyway. So, you know, they were still kind of fine without Jalen Brunson. Now you lose Dorian Finney-Smith and you lose some picks. And so it kind of is like, you know, how are we going to, I guess, kind of, you know, supplant those, those, uh, you know, those talents around, around Luca at least. And you get Kyrie Irving and it's an interesting move. I don't think anybody was really jumping off the wall for how great this decision was, but at the end of the day, you know, the Mavericks are kind of in the, one of those modes where it's like, you have Luca when he's young, 
he still wants to play for Dallas, which again, like I, you know, this whole situation is caused by the fact that, you know, player empowerment and they can kind of choose whatever they want to do. If James Harden says he wants to go to Philly, he's going to Philly. And that's exactly what happened. KD had kind of wanted to go to the Suns and he ends up with the Suns. So if Lucas still wants to play for Dallas, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, has to do everything in his power to keep Luca there. And if that means going to get Kyrie or at least, you know, trying to do something to buy a good player, uh, you know, to, to just kind of pile up your assets so that you can at least have success, you know, with Luca while he still wants to be there. That's what you got to do. And I think that's what he did. And like I said, it's going to be interesting. I, I I don't know enough about the, you know, the intricacies of basketball and how it works to determine whether or not this trade will actually kind of be successful. But I do know the fact that both of these, well, these players are probably two outside of James Harden, two of the most ball dominant point guards in the NBA. And so how do you balance that? I think that obviously, right. They're great players in their own right. And realistically you can have, you know, both of them on the floor at the same time, or one of them on the floor and the other one, not, and really still be successful. But the end at the end of the day like you know they're going to create shots either for themselves or for their teammates now too you've given away i mean dorian finney smith was the best three-point shooter on the team right you still have a couple pieces left from that that team that beat the suns in a big upset in last year's playoffs but you know if, if Kyrie is going to be creating shots for all these guys obviously luca's going to hit shots right but who else on that team is really going to hit shots i i couldn't really tell you now obviously right each of them individually can hit shots like it's like it's nobody's business but if you only have two guys and both of them are point guards who use the ball a lot how is that going to affect kind of the 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 team chemistry there I'm not sure if you know I'm not not sure how that's going to really work out but obviously you know Jason Kidd has done a great job as the coach of this team and I think that I trust him to at least figure something out and and clearly you know Mark Cuban was talking to Jason Kidd and being like you know what can you do you know what's the move here and they decided on Kyrie Irving and that's the decision they made he's Kyrie Irving is still one of the best players in the NBA. And and again, despite all of his drama, which we always talk about, he's just kind of a crazy guy from the outside. And then you go into the locker rooms of all the teams that he's played with and everybody loves this guy. So he either has some sort of, you know, he's just a cool guy to hang out with and spend time with. And that's why all of his teammates end up loving him. Or because of how good at basketball this kid is. He, he makes it worth it on the back end, right? Because he creates shots for people who want the basketball in their hands, who want to be shooting, you know, shooting, uh, you know, obviously the NBA, you shoot baskets, but, but two, he makes life easier. If you're a basketball player, either by being your friend and being a really cool guy to hang out with, or by creating shots for you and not really you having to work as hard as you would have before. So that I think is the upside to Kyrie is the fact that, you know, he may come off as a little weird to the outside, you know, to the media and the public and the media is going to blow up for everything that they want to, because that's kind of their job. But from everywhere that Kyrie's been, he's been a positive influence on the locker room. So I think that's a positive thing for the Mavericks who kind of, you know, are going to have to lo- deal with the losses of Jalen Brunson and Dor- Dorian Finney-Smith. But if you can make it up on the back end with Kyrie being kind of a guy that just goes out and balls and now he's, you know, he's making all his money now. That's what he wanted, right? So they got him the big contract. Obviously, he has Luka by his side too. I think this can really, I mean, I don't, you know, they're not going to win the championship, but I think they can do work with this. They obviously, we saw what they did with kind of not that much left in the tank. Uh, you know, and they, they upset the Suns as the ones that, you know, the four, one matchup in last year's playoffs. And we're really, you know, a, a game five away from beating the Warriors and going to the NBA finals. So if Kyrie can kind of be the glue that Jalen Brunson and, and Dorian Finney Smith weren't last year, maybe this really works. I don't, I don't, obviously I can't kind of, you know, pretend to know um, exactly what's going to go on. I just think it's going to be interesting to see, like you have two of the best players in the NBA at their same position on the same team. Is that going to result in something great? It could, but I I don't see them going to the NBA finals or anything. And I don't think they expect to, um, but it will be interesting to see how well they're able to do with kind of these, you know, these, these young guys who are eventually, or basically NBA veterans at this point, um, so young in their careers, you know, We'll see. Um, so on on that's I think at least my you know kind of take on the Mavs. Hayden, if you have anything to say about the Mavs, go ahead. If not, obviously the Suns are 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 right for the take in there with K- KD, their newest addition. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the Mavs and and the Kyrie situation. It's going to be what it'll be, and I think right they're not really going to win now. I don't think they're really in that kind of position just because their defense is lacking in every aspect possible. But yeah, you you add a guy like Kyrie, and and there you've got to make your team at least somewhat better. Um, we kind of said that for the for the Nets back when they got the big three and they sucked, but that's kind of besides the point, right? I think the Mavs will be, I think the Mavs will be just fine. Um, I also think just a little quick thing on Kyrie. I also think that the like my theory on this is that 
the Mavs got Kyrie so that they could rest Luca more essentially. Like, I think that they got, obviously you want Luca on the floor as much as possible. You would want, I think most people would say that they would want Luca in, you know, a, a game, a game time situation or like a, a close game or whatever you want Luca in almost every aspect of the game, at least offensively um, over Kyrie. But essentially when you have a guy like Kyrie on the floor, like Matt said, he's able to create, create shots for anybody. And so you're able to give a guy like Luca more rest and you're able to kind of get him rejuvenated for more games. And that, that gets into the whole load man load management thing that we don't really want to get into today. We'll, we, we'll talk about it like periodically too, but um, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of just a, a, a conversation for a different day, but in terms of the Suns and the KD trade, um, I I don't think that there's really much to say here. I had more to say for the for the Mavericks and Kyrie, just because I think that there's more to say there. But but I mean, yeah, it's like I think that the KD being on the Suns, it's like the Suns are already good and they were really good last year. But going into the playoffs, and Matt Matt actually called this that like he knew that the Suns weren't going to go far in the playoffs last year, just because they have a good team, they have they have great talent, but it just seems like they don't really gel together all that well. A lot of times Devin Booker tries to play superhero and he tries to play. It's like, he's playing AAU basketball out there. Like sometimes, I don't know. I saw that on the internet somewhere where like Devin Booker, yeah, he'll have a 70 point game and he'll, you know, he'll go off and be a really good asset to your team. But then the next game, he'll just like basically ball hog and then not really do anything with the ball and almost lose you the game. So I think Devin Booker is a really streaky player. He's a great player, but I think that's kind of the problem with this Nets team is that like none of these guys really play together. Um, they've had, I mean, they've had Chris Paul for a couple of years now, I think too. They've had DeAndre Aiden for a few years. So it's like, they've had a pretty solid core to this team. They've had Devin, Devin Booker for a good six, seven years probably, but like they've had a good solid core to this team and they still haven't been able to get anything done really. So maybe adding KD will help that a little bit, but, I think KD in his own right is is kind of a team. I mean, it's kind of a player that like is better on his own, right? He's he's better being the star. Um, we saw his only championship that he won was with was with the Warriors when they had that great team that went you know seventy three and nine or whatever. That basically the best basketball team, regular season basketball team in the history of basketball. But I don't I don't know if we're gonna like see this the Suns team take off just because KD's there. I think that we'll see them get a little bit better, but I still think that like, right. They need to change the core of this team in order for them to really have success. Because at the end of the day, we always say it team basketball is better than just a bunch of stars playing on the same team. Um, you can win like that, but like the golden state warriors, I mean, you, you wouldn't consider Draymond green, a, a complete star, but he's considered one of the really core elements of that team. That's able to, Right, that has chemistry with the rest of, with the rest of that team. That's able to work well with the rest of that team. That's why we're, they were able to have so much success back when KD was on the team, and then that's why they were able to have so much success last season when they won the championship. So, um, or when they won the finals. So, like, I think that that's kind of what we're looking at with the Suns. And le- until they get a better core on their team, I don't think that they're re- really going to be that good. And again, we're talking about KD, who's a guy that really just needs the ball in his hands and needs to create his own shots in order for him to be good, needs to create his own opportunities in order for him to be good. He doesn't really need anybody else. So I think that adding him to this team, obviously, right. It gives you a lot of, a lot more scoring ability, a lot more options offensively and defensively really, but it doesn't really, I don't think it really changes the dynamic of the team much, which is the problem on this Suns team. I think, the 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 fate of the Suns is going to depend on the health of this team right now. Devin Booker was hurt earlier in the year. He's kind of come back. He, he again, and Hayden said he's he's one of the best ISO scorers in the league. He doesn't really provide for the for his other teammates, which is why a guy like Chris Paul is perfect for the Suns because he's the ultimate distributor right now, and he can go on on his own and you know right just kind of make shots and 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 kind of drain everything. Uh, but he's the distributor. He's the ultimate you know teammate and and, and team player here. But he's also been hurt, right? He was even hurt at the end of last year, which is why they weren't really able to do as well in that series against the Mavericks as they were, and, and they only made it to kind of the second round of the playoffs. And they were even had a scare against the Pelicans in the first round last year, if you remember. So it depends on the health of the team. And and, and obviously, like I said, you know, Chris Paul, the, the incumbent players, Chris Paul and Devin, Booker's ha- Devin Booker, have had problems with injuries 
um, you know, throughout the season, this season and, and Kevin Durant, you know, as much as we love and he, again, he's probably at this point, like at his peak, still the best player in the NBA right now. Uh, but again, you know, he's dealt with injuries, obviously last year, you know, he was kind of, he kind of beat up to end the season this year. He was amazing to start the season. He was single-handedly carrying the Nets team earlier this year. And then he, you know, kind of faced some injuries and he's, he's been out kind of, or, you know, on and off, uh, throughout the, you know, throughout the, into the regular or, you know, mid, mid, middle of the pack of the regular season here. Uh, but I think obviously, yes, it's important for all of them to be healthy, but I think Chris Paul is probably the biggest piece. Uh, ironically, you wouldn't think of him as, I mean, he's probably the third best player in terms of, you know, ranking Devin Booker, uh, Dev, Kevin Durant and Chris Paul, but he's the third best player, but he's most important because he gets those players, the ball and, and he knows basketball so well, he's been in so many of these situations before. And he, he you know, he, he just needs a championship at this point. He's, he's my favorite player in the history of the NBA. Obviously I didn't, you know, I, I'm only 24, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't alive for, for, for the, for the very much historical guys, but, but yeah, that's kind of the, the, the deal here is if he is healthy, Chris Paul is 100% healthy, he can really do it. He can make it happen for these guys who, you know, who are kind of the stars beside him. But but that's going to really what it, that's what it depends on is is the health of, of, of not only, you know, the other guys, but but also Chris Paul. Interestingly enough, obviously, with the KD trade going, you know, him going to the Suns now, they became the favorites to win the West, you know, kind of the, the betting odds and everything shifted in their favor, which I can see, um, you know, they at least have the experience of being able to get further enough or, you know, far enough. They, you know, they obviously got to the NBA finals and were up 2-0 against the Bucks uh, two years ago. And then obviously kind of had the, you know, the upset flame out against the, the, the Mavericks last season. But, you know, I mean, right. If you're on the other, if you're on the other competition is really basically, you know, the, the, uh, the Nuggets at this point, the Nuggets as great as they are and as great as Nikola Jokic is like, they haven't really had that much playoff success. Right. So, in a, you know, in a playoff series, like with a fully healthy Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker on his, you know, on his side, you know, give me them over, you know, Jokic, who is the, obviously going to win. I mean, he's going to win his third MVP in a row, which is pretty ridiculous, but they haven't even been in the NBA finals yet since he's been there. So, um, so I do think that the, the, the future for the Suns, at least in terms of this season for the playoffs, it's looking pretty high. It just depends on kind of the health status of the team and, and where they're able to go from there. Yes. Also one quick thing about the Suns is that, this new guy, well, he's not really new. Uh, if He came into the league, I think, 2018. Um, but his name is Josh Akoji, and he plays for the he plays for the Suns. He's kind of been like a bench player slash role player. He hasn't even really been a role player, honestly, because he's been sitting on the bench for most of the time. But now that, right, they've let go of some of those guys, Cam Smith and Mikhail Bridges, now he's getting some more playing time. Basically, since KD has gotten to Phoenix, He's averaged 18 and a half uh, points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game and two steals per game. So just a little, little, uh, little sleeper to watch out for on that Suns team. I totally forget, like forgot to talk about him when I was giving my whole spiel. Um, I was trying to talk more about how KD will affect this team um, and how the, you know, kind of how the team dynamic is leading into this KD edition. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it may have sounded like I'm a little bit, too low on the Suns. I don't think that they're going to be bad. I just don't know if they're going to. It's kind of like what Matt assessed with the Mavericks. It's like I don't know if they're going to make a run, um, you know, to the finals or anything like that. And like Matt said, they're they're favorites to win the West now, which is pretty interesting because they're still sitting at fourth. Um, they're still behind the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, and one other team, the Kings. Who is it's a huge surprise this season. We're gonna have to talk about them sometime soon, but um, yes, that'll round out the episode for for today. Thank you guys for listening. Um, regarding the next episode that we're gonna have, I am in fact I just got a spring break trip planned this past weekend, so um, I will be leaving Thursday and then coming back. Well, Thursday I'll be leaving Thursday night and then coming back on Wednesday of next week. So basically the earliest I would be able to do an episode is next Thursday. If we weren't going to do one this Thursday, which might be a little bit too close there. So you might hear a solo episode from Matt. If he wants to do one, um, I'm getting a little nod from him. He might, he'll probably come out with a little solo episode. Um, I do want to talk about the NFL topic. So maybe save that for another date, but, um, but yeah, so the NFL topic that you guys were going to hear today is probably going to be saved until a week and a half to two weeks from now. So just a little, yeah, just a little heads up. Um, I wasn't, I didn't know about this trip, the spring break trip until 
literally this past weekend. So um, that's, that's the news on that. I know that last episode I said that I might be going on a trip. I might not be, but yeah, that's where I'm at there. But hopefully I would be back on the pod within the next week and a half. Basically next weekend is probably when I'll, is when I'll try to be back on the pod. If we have time to do it next weekend, if not, you'll hear from a, you'll hear from me next time in, in two weeks, probably. So that'll be that, but yes, be, and be sure to two stay weeks tuned. from today. Hayden, sorry to interrupt you, but it's of importance. Two weeks from today, we will be filling out March Madness brackets. All yeah, because right, because right, Selection Sunday is is that uh, is that Sunday, so that's, that's that's an exciting time, let me tell you. Um, and we will we will definitely have a full, hopefully, I don't even, maybe we can get two episodes out. I guess we might have to. Um, actually, you know, last not. year, yeah, I think I think last year we did we did a, a two full episodes of um basically bracketology where we went through our whole bracket and talked about teams that we were liking and teams that we weren't liking and picks that we were picking and picks that we weren't picking. So uh, yeah, that's going to, that's going to be a fun time. I can't even, it's, it hasn't even dawned on me that it's that close, but it is that close and it is that time of year. It's so exciting. So uh, I'll have some work to do after I come back from my trip, you know, hunkering down and, and making brackets, but um, that's, that, that's the fun of it all. So with that being said, again, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, you know, for supporting, continuing the support and, uh, yeah, Matt, we'll, we'll catch you guys with a solo episode. So stay tuned for that and peace.